while I was listening to that song, I just couldn't help thinking that that's the song we'd be singing to God someday as we're just worshiping Him in heaven. And when we were at Winter Whitewash, the guy that leads it, he always says that we should give God a hand for our musicians. And I think we should. I think we should give God a hand for our musicians right now. And so often, you know, our music is just beautiful and it allows us to really just sense the Holy Spirit in this place and to, to get prepared to hear His Word. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we love You and praise You. Holy is Your name. Lord, we know we're not worthy, but You are. And Lord, we just thank You for just being our God, for loving us and caring for us and for being with us, even when we're in the fiery furnace, when we're having trials and struggles and things just aren't going the way we think they should. Lord, I pray that we would be representatives of you in everything that we do. Lord, I pray for the youth as they go down, these young children, that they would just see who you are and that you would move in the teachers and that they would just show this love that they have for you and it would flow out of them to these kids and that there would be a new generation, a generation that loves you and praises your name. Lord, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. The kids can be dismissed. I was just talking about how it'd be a bummer if my computer actually didn't work. Give me a second, I'm sorry. There we go. Gotta love technology. Now I know why Pastor Bill has his sheets of paper. (laughs) Daniel 3, so it's the third week in this series on Daniel. And I want to ask you some questions before we begin. Do you love even when it's unpopular? Do you serve even when it's hard? Do you do what's right even when it's costly and maybe even when it costs you your life? There's a movie called Hacksaw Ridge and the main character is Desmond Doss. Many of you have seen it, but the U.S. Army drafts him and he's a Christian pacifist and he can't bring himself to carry a gun. But he also loves his country and he wants to serve it. And so he's accepted in the draft and he, and he becomes this, this medic in his squadron. And you can imagine in the military this pacifism just doesn't work and he gets made fun of for it. And then one evening he was serving as a field medic in Okinawa when the Japanese, they pinned his unit down on top of the cliff and they cut down his unit nearly every man. Many of them were only wounded, but he knew that they wouldn't last until the morning. And so that night, he braved all of this sniper fire as he crawled around and he saved all these men, 75 in all. He would hoist them down with these ropes and these pulleys to the ground, going back for the next one over and over again. President Truman would give him the Medal of Honor for his bravery, even though he never picked up a gun. We can see in this story an uncompromising faith, yet 
He didn't do it with a holier-than-thou attitude. No, he did it with this humility. He was a sign of courage and, and fortitude. And so as we look at Daniel 3, I want us to look at this story of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and see this, this story of courage and then also see how we can apply it to our own life. And if we're going to understand this, we have to go back to last week and see where Pastor Bill finished. Daniel has just revealed this, this dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. And it's kind of a weird dream about this weird statue that's symbolizing the history from, from that time and into the future. But it was amazing enough that King Nebuchadnezzar declared Daniel's God to be the great God. Now we have to understand that he's not necessarily saying that he is the only God. He's just saying that he is the greatest God. Daniel 2.47 The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. On the surface, this sounds like a changed man, but what is on the surface is not always what is on the heart. The God we serve was just one of O King Neb's gods. And all that really happens is Daniel gives King Neb an idea. Instead of spending time discovering who this God is, no, he makes this massive statue. Daniel 3.1 King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 60 cubits or 6 cubits. He set up on the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon. And so basically it's this massive statue. It's 90 feet high. It's 9 feet wide. I mean kind of some weird dimensions if you think about it. Scholars believe that there could have been a base maybe as high as 20 feet. That might have changed the dimensions a little bit. I don't know. But, but what I do know is that it was a grotesque image that was designed to show Nebuchadnezzar's power. And as you read the Bible, I was talking about this stand or this platform for this, this statue. And there's actually some evidence that a a French archaeologist by the name of Opert has, has found this, this brick structure that's only four miles south of Babylon. Archaeology is continually proving the Bible to be at least plausible. And I don't know about you, but it really helps in this uncompromising belief that we have. But we have to ask the question, what does uncompromising mean? You see, I'm uncompromising in who I worship. I'm uncompromising in my moral standards, but it does not mean that I kick people out of church, no. You see, this week I was helping a family as they were going through the end-of-life process. And the husband who was watching his wife pass away, he said this to me, when he first came to town, him and it wasn't actually his wife, it was another woman, went to a church and they walked in and the church told them that they had to leave because the woman was wearing a pantsuit and not a dress. You see, I can live within my moral standard and my moral compass while still caring about other people and not so much about how they look or think and act. No, I can care about them because that's what Jesus wants me to do. I have never seen somebody ridiculed to faith. No. People are loved to faith by people who live out their Christian life with genuineness and, and not hypocrisy. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
They were with these people who worshipped multiple gods. But unlike King Nebuchadnezzar, they cared about them. You see, the king, he just wanted them around for his own power. That's why he made this statue completely of gold. You remember last week, only the head was gold. But King Neb, he thinks really high of himself. He makes the entire statue gold to show off his power. He kept all these people around for his power. That's why he invites them all. He wants them to see how awesome and powerful King Neb is. But not these four men. They're around these people because they believe that they have a divine purpose. Do these people see their life? And do they see this purpose that God has given us? Is it uncompromising? Is that your faith? You see, these young men, they're around the satraps, which were some of the chief representatives. They were in charge of these providences in the kingdom. There were other officials in Babylon, the prefix or, or military commanders. There was governors, which were civil administrators, advisors who are counselors to these government authority. What about the treasurers who are administrators of the funds or, or judges who are administrators of the law and these magistrates that, that pass judgment in keeping the law? All of these guys, I doubt, were living with biblical moral standards. Maybe they were just going through life. Maybe they were looking to gain power. I don't know. But biblical moral standards was probably not their priority. But here's the deal. My guess is that these four men made an impact in their life. You ever wonder where the wise men came from? Maybe, just maybe, these four men made an impact by showing the life that they were living, these biblical principles that they lived by as they watched them live them out, as they watched them care for all these people. Guys, I hope we're never like a church. I saw in 2018 a church where a man, the, the pastor actually kicks somebody out because he shows up in girls' clothing and he's a guy. Now, I get it. I know what the Bible says, but, but how do we love everyone? Because this is a church. This is a church for all people to deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we speak truth and we allow Jesus to transform them. That's what he did while he was alive. Do we want to be like Jesus? Because uncompromising is not this holier-than-thou, self-righteous bigotism. I don't even know if that's a word all right we should compromise in being like jesus allowing his word to change people now this is a funny story just the other day i saw people smoking out the church and it made me so excited now i get it i don't want people to die i don't want them to destroy their lungs but i saw somebody comfortable enough in our church to smoke outside and I can tell you, just five, ten years ago, that would have never happen. Nobody was, more, was comfortable enough to do that. And what was really awesome is I didn't hear one word about it from anybody coming into our office. Because this is a church for all people. For people that want to hear the Word of God. That want to discover the truths that His Word tells us. Everybody. You see, when our focus is Jesus, we don't have to demonstrate the kind of insecurities that old King Neb had. A man that builds this huge gold statue. And then he hires this, this herald to, to proclaim it in verse 4. Hear ye, hear ye, all people, all nations, all languages. I mean, this is pretty bold. 
He thinks he's over everybody. And the last time I saw this kind of language in the Bible, it didn't go so well. You remember the Tower of Babel? I mean, we notice the theme, Babel and Babylon. And what does God do? He spreads them all over the world. He mixes their language. And old King Neb, he thinks that he's going to be the one to bring them back together. But he's not going to do it with love and sacrifice. No, he's going to do it with force. Ruling by force never works. Only sacrifice truly works. Only love truly works. And that doesn't mean that we don't speak truth. No, how do we speak truth? Where's our heart when we speak truth? Jesus never shied away from saying difficult things, but you always knew his heart, especially when he dies on a cross. When he takes all of our sin and he dies for it, when he pays the penalty for it, you could see his heart in that. He loved all of you. But King Neb, he has a plan, a different plan. He says this in verse 5, when you hear any type of music, the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the, the bagpipe, the piano, the saxophone, the harmonica, the gazoo, or even the guitar, like we saw two years ago at Winter Whitewash, right? All of these instruments, every single one of them, you will bow to it or I will kill you. That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus at all. Jesus is so much different. Right? What, what King Neb is doing is, is weird. I mean, he's asking these people to bow to these golden statues. And we don't think of it this way, but what do we bow to? Do you like your phone, your sports, your politics, your job? Do you bow to your spouse, your kids? Do you bow to drugs, alcohol? And what's funny is we do it without being told we're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. Or maybe we will, I don't know. I can tell you that both lead to a separation from God, and it is terrible. But I can also tell you this, that Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they are an inspiration for all. The way that they show this courage, this uncompromising courage, should be an inspiration for everybody in this room. Daniel 3, 7. Therefore, as soon as all people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Visualize this. I mean, everybody is bowing down, but not these three men. No, they are standing tall for their God. And these men may as well have very been boys. We don't know. But their actions... Were greater than most men. Their faith, their courage was uncompromising. We don't know how many people it was, and some estimate about a million. I'm not sure, but I'm sure it was a sight to see. And my guess is they got on their knees and they bend down and they put their head on the ground, kind of like Muslim videos that you see when they pray, but not three. And what happens? The, the Chaldeans, these tattletales, they show up and they kiss, you know what? Oh, kings, you know what? Oh, king, live forever. You have made a decree. You are awesome. But you said the people would die if they didn't bow down. And old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't do it. You know, those Jewish guys, the ones you put in power? You think maybe there's some jealousy? Do you ever wonder why Daniel was not there? Do you know why? I don't, so <laughs> I'm just making a guess here, right? I mean, let's be honest. 
Daniel 2.49 is my best guess. Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He appointed them over the affairs of the providence of Babylon. But, but Daniel remained at the king's court. And so my guess is Daniel's not there. He's taking care of the king's court. And my guess also is that King Neb, he really likes Daniel, and he knows that Daniel is not going to bow to the statue. So he's not bringing Daniel with him. No, he's protecting him because he is so important. Regardless. Whatever it is, I mean, that's my best guess, but... But what we see in these men is huge. And I can tell you that if Daniel would have been there based on who he is, I can promise you he would have been right in the furnace with them. And so the Chaldeans, they bring these men to the king. The king's fired up, obviously, but he gives them a chance to repent. And these next verses are probably some of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It's right up there with 1 Samuel 17 when, Dan, when David is facing off with Goliath. It says this in Daniel 3, 14 and 15. Nebuchadnezzar answered them and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, and all those things that I don't want to say again, and you fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And then he says this. Listen closely. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Do you see that last part? I mean, your God was pretty amazing when he told me my dream a little while back, but now let's see if he can handle this one. Can he protect you against old King Neb? I mean, this is a whole new ballgame. King Neb is great, and he's saying, not your God. I am better. But here's what happens. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I mean, you can just see it. Oh, Neb, Really? Right, you're at it again. Don't you know our heart? You know better than this. You've seen us over and over again. You knew that we would not bow to this statue. You knew that we wouldn't. And how do we apply it to our life? What about the sin in our life? Do we ever say, oh, sin, I have no need to answer you in this matter? Because I answer to something greater. I am not controlled by you. No. You may think you are powerful. You may think that you are this massive statue that is impressive. You may think that you are impressive, but you are small in comparison to the creator of the universe. You are small in comparison to my king. Do you believe that? And then in verse 17, it says this, and I I love this. If this be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. Stop for a second. I mean, they believe that they will be delivered. They have seen God work. They have read His love letter. They know that God created the universe. They know that He parted the Red Sea that He provided manna, that He made the earth stand still. They know the transformation that He has made in their life over and over again. God has proven faithful. And they will not fall down and bow to this statue. They would rather face 
the furnace. But they don't just do it because they know they'll be saved. They are prepared to do it even if God does not save them on this earth. And I think that's the difference between somebody who has a faith based in Christ's love and somebody who has a faith based in what God can do for us. I've seen it often. We use God as a means to an end rather than a devoted relationship regardless of where He takes us. I want God to help me in my marriage. I want God to help me in my finances. I want God to heal my family member. But instead of thinking, maybe God knows what's best for me. Maybe the God that created everything knows what's right for me, regardless of what's happening in my life. And what do we do? We often turn away instead of turning to Him and trusting Him in those moments. You see, this real faith is as they turn towards God. Verse 18 But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. If you do not save us on this earth, we will uncompromisingly die for our faith. Is that us? Throughout the ages, there have been martyrs, and I do not believe the Revelation 14, 12-13 is just for the end times. I believe it is direction for all of us. It says this, verse 12. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Do we love God enough to die for Him? Do we love God enough to live for Him? Do I live for Him when I can't get out the door this morning and my kids are being absolutely terrible to each other and I show up to church five minutes before it starts? Do I live for Him when there's difficult people? Do I live for Him when I don't want to do something? Do I live for Him when I'm sitting in the hospital on Wednesday watching a woman take her last breath? Do I live for Him in those moments as I'm trying to support a grieving husband who's just talking to her and telling her, can, you can go, honey. You don't have to fight anymore. A husband who prays out to God as she takes her last breath. You saw this moment where this woman was living for God. I mean, she's literally in a bed. She is, she is in a bed. She can't move any part of her body. And so many people I saw go in that room and they were moved by this woman. The nurses, the aides, the therapists, they were all moved by her because you could see Jesus radiate out of her. There was a nature sign covering the fluorescent light above her bed. And it had a circle on it. And she would stare at that circle. And when she stared at that circle, she would pray for everybody that was in her prayer circle. And when new people would come in, they would join that prayer circle as she prayed over and over again. I can tell you that one of the nurse's aides sent me a text message that said that when she was struggling... When she was going through hard times, she would go and meet with this lady. And this lady would encourage her 
and laugh with her. And she demonstrated this goodness that is Jesus. Do you live for Jesus? Do you live for Him at all times? Or do we forget Him and we move on? The Bible tells us that there is endurance. And uncompromising is what we are called to be. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they showed their faith in these moments. Do we even live for Jesus when other people are furious at us or cut us down? Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And some of you are like, how do you heat a furnace seven times hotter? What it really means is it's as hot as it will possibly go. Seven is this number of completion. The furnace was a common way to execute people at the time and and what it would have looked like would have either been in a hill with a, with a hole on top and, and a hole on the side so they could see it. And, and it, maybe they would take them up and they could drop them in. That's what happened with these three men. They get thrown into the fire. Verse 20. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into this burning, fiery furnace. I mean, that's some power, right, King Neb? you got to get somebody else to do your bidding. And here's the deal. Even though these mighty men came and they bound them with these ropes, I'm pretty sure that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have jumped in if he'd have just said, hey, go up there and do it. They had that kind of faith. They knew that their God would save them. And if he didn't, they knew that they would be in the presence of their God. And what's cool is our God doesn't just save them from the fiery furnace. No, he has it heated seven times more. Our God doesn't just save them from the furnace. No, they keep their clothes on. No, no, they bound them with ropes. And what does our God do? Their clothes are not even touched. And yet the ropes are burned off. Our God's just showing off. They don't even smell like campfire. Guys, I don't know about you. I hate smelling like campfire. Now, I like it when you're around it and everything, but when you walk away, you stink so bad. You get within 10 feet of it, and you smell like it for two days or till you take a shower. But our God, they didn't even have that smell. None of it. He saved them from this fiery furnace. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered him, that's true, O king. He's probably looking through this side door, but instead of seeing them incinerated, they are walking with Jesus. Maybe they're singing the the first ever song, we didn't start the fire. Abraham, Noah, Abraham, or Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah is the man, Jesse, David, Solomon, man, Sadrach, Meshach. I can't even say it today. We'll just stop. We didn't start the fire. It was so better in first service. I, I, I spent hours practicing the sermon, and probably about, you know, two of them were just spent on that alone. Anyways, where I want to go is God is in control of everything. He was in control of those moments and he's in control of your life and he's in control of this craziness that we see in this world that we are in. Verse 25, he answered and said, but I see four men unbound 
walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. No, King Neb, he is the son of God. I mean, Jesus is walking with them in the fire. And when we bow to other things in this world, we miss out on the opportunity to walk with Jesus through the difficult moments. One of my favorite chapters in all the Bible is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me, O Jesus. Would you rather walk through the most beautiful garden without Jesus? Or would you rather be in a fiery furnace heated to capacity? Would you rather be in the valley of death with Him. With Jesus. Everything is better with Jesus. Ask yourself that question. Nothing is more important than your faith. Nothing is more important than Jesus. In the Bible, it compares other things to this fiery furnace. We see it compare Egypt to it in Deuteronomy 4.20. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt to be a people of His own inheritance as you are this day. And then Isaiah compares Babylon and the exile to a furnace. Isaiah 48.10 Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. Difficult times. The times when we are in the furnace are the times where Jesus can make Himself known the most. Do we hold on to Him as He walks with us in the furnace? Is that your life? Because I can tell you the best testimony to the world is when you are going through pain, when you go through difficult moments in your marriage, when you're going through death and illness, when you're going through life that is just tearing you down, the greatest testimony is to proclaim Jesus and that He is right there with you through every moment. Do we love Him? Amen. When you're lonely, do you know that you are never lonely? That Jesus is there with you. He's always there with you. And He loves you. He loves you exactly the way that you are. He made you. And He doesn't make mistakes And He will love you when you are having the greatest day and when you are walking through the fiery furnace and everything is crushing down and maybe you are burning. 
That is the Jesus that we worship. That is the Jesus that we love. And there are people in this world who need to hear about this Jesus. And so I ask us, please, please, never keep that to yourself. Express it, share it, tell everybody, reclaim it on the mountain. I don't know what you have to do, but Jesus is that important. Guys, I struggled this week. I struggled difficult, so difficult. It's not easy to be a pastor. It's not easy to be a believer. So often you talk about this Jesus and it feels like people just bow to a golden statue. I mean, you have so much in who Jesus is and yet all they do is bow to a statue. The things that this world offers us. They don't see what King Neb saw here in the last part of Daniel 3. Starting at verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and delivered his servants who trust in him and set aside the king's commands and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their house laid in ruins. But there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the providence of Babylon. The life you live and the one that you live for makes a difference. Whatever's going on in your life, when you live for Jesus, when you allow him to walk next to you, it will make a difference, not just in your life, but in other people's life. Does that matter to us? Because it should. And I know FBC, it does. I know the hearts of the people in this room, and I know that Jesus matters. I know that he matters to all of us, and I know that you desperately want to see other people come to that same saving grace so they can understand this Jesus that walks with us, that listens to us, the Jesus that loves us, I heard J.D. Greer say the other day, don't search for a faith that will keep you from the fire, but for a God that will keep and be with you in the fire. Are you willing to go through the furnace? Is your faith tested? Is your faith refined? Do you love Jesus? Do you love him enough to allow him to shape you and to mold you and to purpose you for his work. First Peter 1.7 So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Is that not our goal? This revelation of Jesus Christ the one that loves us through everything, the one that's with us in the fiery furnace, the one that we can be uncompromising for. And guess what? It's not on your own. You can't do it without him. 
And He is the one that will see you through. He is the one that will guide you and teach you and mold you and shape you. He is the one that will allow you to live in uncompromising faith. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and praise you. We thank you for your Son. We thank you that he is with us in the fiery furnace. We thank you that he is with us in the trials and tribulations that we see today. And Lord, I pray that if there is anybody in this room, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you in this way, that today they would put aside everything. That they would put aside the golden images, the statues, these massive statues that control our life, that make us bow down to something other than you, God. And that they would turn towards the one that is with us always. The one that loves us and cares for us. And that we would surrender to you, God. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.